0: greatest battles of uh, Christian life is to balance truth and love. On the, on the one hand, people can be so focused on love that truth is literally out the door and neglected. I mean, that is, right? It doesn't much matter what one believes or, or does or says. What matters is that we love people regardless of their actions. And this is the call of modern society today is full tolerance, full acceptance, and here's the thing, full approval of what everyone else is doing. And that's what the world is espousing. We need love, we need love, we need love at the total disregard of truth. On the other hand, people, particularly Christians who understand and know the truth, so guided by the truth that love can completely go out the door as well. People can think about how the only important thing is to get it right. right? You, you aim and you work and you strive right, to convince everybody that your way is right because you have the, the truth of the Scripture, that it doesn't matter what sort of attitude you have. It doesn't matter so, what sort of grace that you, you show. All that matters is that you're right. And that's often the religious zealots on one side. And it's a difficult battle for all Christians. And how do you balance these things? Because we of all people, we've come to know the truth. We have the Bible, we, we come to believe it, we see and understand the God and His sovereignty and, and we in our sinfulness and, and Christ in His crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, how how that gives us life, it gives a perspective on eternity. We we have a corner on the truth and we want to, to share that and let other people know. And yet we of all people ought to be the most loving people as well. Gracious with that message, gracious in our actions kind and compassionate. And it's difficult to, to balance these things. So how do you balance them? Well, really, you don't. You embrace them both is what you do. You don't compromise either. You, you embrace both of them fully. Randy Alcorn says this. He says, We should never approach truth except in a spirit of grace. Or grace except in the spirit of truth. Jesus wasn't... 50% grace, 50% truth, but 100% grace and 100% truth. Of course, she's coming from John 1.14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace, full of truth. And I say, never was a man more loving and gracious than was the Lord Jesus. And never was a man more full of love than the Lord Jesus He lived them perfectly, in perfect balance, embracing them both. But then again, that's the character of God. Exodus 34, verse 6, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and truth. And the Bible calls believers in Christ to put forth both those qualities as well. See, it's not an either or for a Christian. It's not... Well, love or truth. There's not truth or love in any circumstances. Both and. Both love and truth. Again, Randy in his book, Grace and Truth um, Paradox, he, he writes this, the countless mistakes in marriage, parenting, ministry, and other relationships are failures to balance grace and truth. Sometimes we neglect both. Sometimes we choose one over the other. He says, it reminds me of Moses, our Dalmatian. When one tennis ball is in his mouth, The other's on the floor. And when he goes for the second ball, he drops the first. Large dogs can get two balls in their mouth, but not Moses, our Dalmatian. He manages to get two in his mouth only momentarily. And to his distress, one ball or the other either spurts out on the floor. And similarly, our minds don't seem big enough to hold on to both grace and truth at the same time. We go after the grace ball only to drop the truth ball. To make room for it, and we need to stretch our undersized minds to hold them both at once. And that's my hope this morning, with my message, that we as individuals, and that we as a church, would be those who are strong in love and strong in truth. And there's no book of the Bible that clearly calls us to both these characteristics in the book of 1 John. So, if you haven't done so, I invite you to open your Bibles to—I'm sorry, Second John to Second John. <clears throat> You can do that if you don't have a Bible on your the pew in front of you. There's a, a Bible page one thousand and twenty-five. It's near the back of your Bible. Um Second John is between First John and Third John. It's right there. You go to Revelation in the back and you just kind of back up and you'll find them. By verse count, it's the shortest book in the Bible. Uh by Greek word count, it's second shortest only to third John, which we will look at last week, which is only appropriate because we finished First John the Sunday before Easter. And then we'll do Second John today and Third John tomorrow. And the, and the message of Second John is really these two words. It's truth and love. And remember, this was a letter that was written to believers, but it's so short, it's kind of like a postcard. So this is a postcard that, that John sent that any mail carrier certainly could have read it on the way because it's so short, it only takes two minutes to read if I read slowly. So here we go. I'll read slowly. Listen in your mind for themes of love and themes of truth. Because they're both there. They're both prominent. They are the themes of the book. The elder to the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth. And not only I, but also all who know the truth because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father, and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to His commandments. This is the commandment, just as you've heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, so you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face. So that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister. Greet you. Well having finished the book of First John. It took us about. Whatever six months. Seven months to work through. I'm sure that in your minds. Are some themes. That are similar to First John. And similar here to Second John. Both these books. Predominant message of love. Both these books. Talk a lot about truth. Both these books talk about false teachers. Both these books talk about the incarnation of Jesus. They they talk about abiding in the teaching of Christ. They talk about a a new commandment, which is really an old commandment. I'm sure we can pick up other themes of just the the similarity between these. And and the similarity between these books have given scholars a a unified understanding, for the most part, that both these letters written by the, the same author, the Apostle John. Now, it's interesting here, the book of Second John, John nowhere identifies himself by name, as he didn't in 1 John either. In fact, he didn't in the Gospel of John either. And what the Gospel of John, the best thing he did was he called himself the one whom Jesus loved, almost as if he was too humble to place his name, John, in the same sentence as Jesus. He just referred to him as the one who Jesus loved and but through the internal clues of the book, you find out very clearly who wrote it. It was John who wrote it, the, uh, the Apostle. And from the similarity with John and 1 John, dealing with the same themes in the same way, there's great confidence there that John wrote both these books. And he wrote 2 John. And he wrote 3 John. he simply identifies himself here as the elder. Now, he could have called himself the Apostle because he was an Apostle. As Paul did on several occasions. Um, He was one who was sent out by Jesus himself to spread the gospel far and wide. But he didn't call himself an apostle. He called himself an elder. He called himself the elder. I think the way it came across when he wrote it, I think it came across in our English, the old man. I'm the old man writing to you. Now, if you're really smart about things, you realize, why did he write the old man? Because he had some gray hair. He was getting on in age. Maybe walked with a stoop. I don't know. But he was older. And probably at this point in his life. He had no need to appeal to his authority. Because he was known and loved. And respected. By all those to whom he wrote. His influence far outweighed his authority. And I I just encourage all of you those who lead anybody in any capacity far better to have your influence outweigh your authority and use your influence on people rather than your authority It'd be far more effective and that's what john is doing he's using his influence here and unlike first john this is addressed to a very specific group of people the elder to the elect lady and her children <clears throat> now there's widespread division of the identity of this group of people some say that this elect lady is a specific woman um, who was gifted to the Lord, maybe in evangelism, leading many people to Christ. The Bible oftentimes uses my children as a, as a metaphor for people who've come to faith through someone sharing the gospel with them. That, that may be this lady. This lady may be uh, head of an orphanage with lots of children in her home. Um, Kind of the the matriarch of this whole society. Maybe John's been around a long time. Maybe these children have have grown up and are kind of still part of her and her family and her her greater household. Um, So maybe she's extending the gifts of hospitality to all these people. That's one view. And there are others who say on the other side that the elect lady is a poetic way of describing a church. Um, Paul described the church as a bride, a woman. Seeking to be married to Christ. And John used that same metaphor in Revelation 19, verses 6 through 8. We spoke about the the marriage supper of the Lamb, that the, the church is the bride who will come and marry Christ someday. And Peter certainly was referring to a church when he used similar language in 1 Peter 5, verse 13. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen or elect, sends you greetings. And if John was writing to a church, then her children would be the members of the church. If I lean anyway, I think I'd go with the church interpretation. Though, here's the thing. We we won't ever know. We have no idea of knowing. And the good news is this. It doesn't really matter. Because in either case, we're talking about a group of believers where they all trace their spiritual heritage to some godly evangelistic woman or whether they're all living in some close association with her or whether they are a church. One thing is clear. John's writing to a group of believers who love Christ. And he's counseling them using his influence how to live the Christian life. And his counsel can be summarized in two words. Love, live in love, and live in truth. The title of my message this morning is Love and Truth. Love comes first because that's what he talks about first. Though, in verse 3, you can see he speaks about truth first. He says this. "The elder, Look at verse 1 again. The elder to the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. A lot, of, a lot of truth talking here, but but John had come to know this elect lady and her children and had come to love them. And his experience was not unique, for others had come to love them as well. If you, if you look, he says, not only I, I'm not the only one who loved the elect lady and love her children, but also all who Know the truth. See, there were others who knew this elect lady. And others knew this children, whether it's a church, it's a group of people, whatever, who, who knew that. They loved the truth. They, these people loved the truth. And as a result, there was a, a mutual love and a affection. They'd come to love them. And the reason for this love is the bond of truth. This elect lady and her children embrace the truth. And when you talk about the truth, you talk about the realities of life, particularly the realities of God and our sin and Christ and what He did for us on the cross. They become believers in Jesus in the, the Roman world, which was a difficult thing to do. Um, and when they embrace the truth, uh, they had a, a form, a bond of, of love formed. In fact, that's how the Christian life works. When you find someone who is a fellow believer in Jesus... There's often an instant bond of love that's formed. Um, whether that's my daughter who is is student teaching in the, in England now, I almost say Europe because she's all over Europe. She's been to France and Germany. and so right now she's in Barcelona with Paola. She's right there. Who lived with you guys for a year? How long? Seven months, whatever? Nine months, 10 months, whatever. You get it, all right. Somewhere along there, lived there. So she's there speaking Spanish all the time. And uh, she said the other day that she met two people, uh, one from Danville and one from Biola, where she's hoping to go to school. And uh, Danville's where Avon's parents are from, so she knows about that. And uh, Biola's where she's hoping to go to school, but the one at Biola is uh, a Christian on some kind of filming project, and there's just an instant bond. That She said she spent the day with her. I mean, total stranger, bond of truth. We're spending the day together. I mean, that's just that's just how it works. I Yesterday, I was at Knox College, where I went to to college, my alma mater in Galesburg, Illinois, and uh, I went there because 30 years ago this spring, I was on a baseball team that won the Midwest Conference Championship. So this was like the 30th reunion of our championship college baseball team, and uh, you know it's good to be back to hear the stories of these guys. These players remembered far more than I remembered about. <laughs> things that happened that season. It was really incredible. It was very, very fun. Most of these guys I hadn't seen for 30 years. And so it was a great opportunity for me to connect, a good opportunity for the gospel because they said, okay, so we'll what, see what, what you've been doing. I spoke, out. spent 10 years in the IT world. I spent the last 15 years pastoring a church which we planted and, and been there. And even back, I, you know, I went to seminary and I'm in full-time ministry now. I get to tell people, here's my job. I, I tell people where forgiveness of sins can be found in Jesus, who died on the cross, was raised again on our behalf. And for, you know, I spoke that story to many people and most of my guys, most of my teammates um, was indifferent, like, okay. I'm, I'm sure they were thinking, no one said this, so that's good for you, that's good for you, I'm, I'm encouraged, that's, that's good. That works for you, this works for me. Uh, in fact, uh, one guy, uh, when I, I told him that, he said, mm, you know what? Yeah, I, I think you'd make the perfect pastor is what he said he said i'm not a perfect pastor and you know no no that's not what i meant i just like of all the guys and just how they lived and conducted themselves like like i would i would be good at that role is kind of what he affirmed but uh, that's kind of about what i did get i got some guys uh, involved in the catholic church you know one guy's had some very difficult circumstances and now he's kind of coming back to church so i told him about things and he said well steve how was your lenten season It because catholic and i'm like well this is good. this good? It's okay. <laughs> but what we do is far different than what, what they're he's talking about doing. Um, but there was one guy, when I told this all, this was right before I left, probably about 15 minutes before I had to go out and come home. <clears throat> he said, uh, is that part of a non-denominational church you're part of? And uh, I said, yeah. And uh, he said, mine too. He says, uh, our church is called Crossway Bible Church. So I was like, Okay. <laughs> Bond. I hadn't seen him for 30 years. We weren't really good friends on a team. He was a junior. I was a freshman. He kind of was out of Knox. I didn't know him very well, hardly hardly at all. But instant connection, deeper than the people who were, were Catholic. And certainly deeper than those who were our religious, which is most of the people. Why? Because we have a common bond that's just right there in the truth that leads to genuine Christian love. Um, my my greatest regret from the days I didn't have time or opportunity to speak with him further. Would have loved to do so. I mean, about all I heard, I, I tried to tried to figure out where this church was in terms of, you know, was it an IFCA church? He didn't know. Is it Independent denomination? He just didn't like. I don't know how much he knew. But then I, I went home, of course, and you can stalk people at home. All you got to do is start typing, and I found out that. Uh, he, the only thing I found out from him was he was really excited about this new pastor. Young guy, bringing life and and uh, interest back in the church a little bit. So I'm like, okay, that's kind of all, all we got. And so I went back home, Googled a bit, found out his new pastor is from the Master Seminary, which is where I went to uh, to seminary. And so I just know the trajectory of where that church is going. And so I befriended him on Facebook, and I sent him a message of encouragement this morning even to say... He's a good man. He'll teach you the Bible. Trust him. Go, go forward. So I'm sure I will have talks with him in the future. But there was a bond there with him unlike others. And I think that's what's happening here in verses 1 and 2. This common love that John had with these people because of the truth. Those who believed and knew the truth. And there's some I connected with. I probably won't even see again until we celebrate our 40th anniversary of our championship games. Um... But my like-minded friend, he even said, hey, when I'm in Rockford sometime, maybe we'll connect. Maybe from here on a weekend, we'll come to church. So that would be a wonderful thing. So if you see him, I will tell you that story again. Um, But when the truth is common, there's a a bond of love. In fact, you even see the bond of love in verse 12. He says, though I have much to write to you, though he only wrote this postcard, he said, I'd rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face-to-face so that our joy may be complete. You can just see his, his enthusiasm, his desire to, to be face to face with them. That's how Christian love works. We want to be with others who share the truth with us. To share our lives. Right? We want to, to be with them. That's why, that's why a Fellowship of a Church we're, we're like with each other, with believers. And as a result of that our joy is complete. And we can see the connection of love and truth there in verse 3 with the greetings. Grace, mercy, and peace. And I love the confidence of John. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. He knows of God's grace. He knows of God's mercy. He knows of God's peace. And he knows they would all come from God. And he knows that God will bring them into our lives in truth and love in both those and it's those final two words that's going to be the focus of my message this morning truth and love or we're going to look at love first and then we'll look at truth love verses four through six i rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the father and now i ask you dear lady not as though we're writing you a new commandment but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to His commandments. This is the commandment, just if you've heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. The commandment there, of course, is that we should love one another. Here John is just um, describes encountering some of these children of this select lady or this church or whatever it is. How John came into contact with these people, we don't know. Happenstance, maybe these people are coming and traveling through. Ephesus perhaps is where John may have written this book or traveling through the city where John is. Um, may, maybe maybe they were sending a letter to John, which perhaps might be more likely, sending some information to John, and John is writing back to sending information right back to them. That might be the case. We don't know, but we do know of John's response to these people is one of joy. John found great joy to see her children walking in the truth. Now, next week, we're going to look at 3 John 4. I have, John writes, no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And I will certainly make application to parenting there, that your greatest joy, parents, will be when your children are walking in the truth. And your greatest distress and dread and anguish will be when your children don't walk in the truth. But here, John is not even his children. Here, it's her children. It's this lady's children. Or it's this this church, someone else. And and they are walking in the truth. And it is the the response of a believer. When you see other people walking in the truth, when you see God's kingdom being built, you will rejoice wherever that is being built. Not just your own kingdom. It brings great joy to our souls, knowing that, that God is accomplishing His work in His way all around the world at other churches, in town, across the street. You just you see that, and you see people walking in the truth, they can't help but to put a, a smile on our face. And it's with similar joy this morning. I share an email that ought to put a smile on your face. I got this this morning, uh, like whatever, at whatever, 6.45 this morning, maybe something like that, from Clark Richardson. He writes, beloved brother, he writes brother, Prenses and loved our VBC family, so he said, "Share this with you all." He says, "Wanted to let you know the harcasses are indeed coming to serve at Crossway. The decision and invitation were finalized Friday. The transition won't take place till late in the year, but we're all excited the same. Thank you for praying. Now pray for the Lord's wisdom for planning and specifics going forward for the long haul. Thought you might be encouraged by the news. Grateful Clark. And when I heard that news, I had tears of joy." Because of Tom and what, what he means He's a choice serv- servant of God He's been here and preached before Some of us took a, um, a Saturday And spent some time with him Just super encouraging To help mobilize churches To partner together And he will, we will be part of that group To help be mobilized together To see what it is that we can do He'll have an impact on our church Though he is down there Because he's not. It's going to be I think 75% there And then 25% freed up this crossway network and part of that, since we're close, means that he can spend some time with us and help us and serve us in his gifts. And I, so I was rejoicing for them. I know how happy Clark is, and I know what it means to build the kingdom. I know what it means for us, and so we can rejoice. But John was rejoicing at these people he met who were walking in the truth. You say, well, what's this truth that they were walking in? Well, he goes on to explain the truth they were walking in. They were walking in the commandment of the Father. You say, okay, well, what's the commandment of the Father? Here he comes, verse 5 and now i ask you dear lady not as though i were writing a new commandment but the one we've had from the beginning that we love one another and this is love that we walk according to his commandments this is the commandment just as you've heard from the beginning we shall walk in it's called a call to walk in love He says these people are walking in the truth according to the father's commandment what's the father's commandment the father's commandment is love they were walking in love it's pretty easy to deduce and these words are almost exactly the same as First John, you can turn back there if you want. First John chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment you have from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He doesn't even actually get to the commandment, but this commandment, which is an old commandment, which is really a new commandment, is to love. And we know that because that's almost exactly what Jesus said in the upper room after washing his disciples' feet, after dismissing Judas to do as he pleases, to betray Jesus. Then Jesus says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, so also are you to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The commandment that Jesus gave is really no new commandment because... The whole Old Testament is all about love. Jesus says, right, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is love your neighbor as yourself, right? Love God, love your neighbor, and on these two hang all the law and the prophets. In other words, you sum up the Old Testament, you sum it up with the word love. Love God and love others. Everything in the law is simply commentary on what it means to love God commentary on what it means to love others but jesus called it a new commandment john picking up on that phraseology calls it a new commandment verse 5 i'm writing you new commandment but but it's the one we've had from the beginning this commandment is love you say why is it new i think it has to do with the example that jesus brought see it's one thing to tell people to love it's another thing to show people what love is about and jesus showed the way of love he was patient with his selfish disciples. He washed their feet when they thought such a task was only for the lowest of servants. And his ultimate demonstration of love came when he laid down his life for his friends. As Jesus says, no greater love can one show than that he lay down his life for his friends and that's indeed what they, he did and that's what he calls us to do, sacrificially lay down our lives for our friends radically sacrifice others uh, ourselves for others that's love and, and according to john also love is the essence of obedience to god so love is the essence of truth and it's all of its implications that's why you can't have truth over here and love over here is because love is the overflow the out, out outgrowth of truth It's the command of god in fact you see how many times John mentions commandment. I mean, there in verse four he mentions we were commanded by the Father, and verse five it's not I'm writing to you as new commandment, and in six we walk according to His commandments, and this is commandment. This is the commandment of the truth of Almighty God is that we love one another. Love is the essence of obedience with God. Now, sadly, they're so focused upon the truth of God that they're not loving. Can you see the disconnect? I hope they miss the emphasis to love, to love like Jesus. And I just say, may the Lord God give us that understanding of the truth and the commandment of God that we love others like Jesus. Well, let's move to our second point. As we move quickly on here, we've seen love, and there's nothing new here. Here we're going to start to see some things new here in verse 7. Truth. Verses 7 through 11. Let me just read it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who... Do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead does not abide in the teaching of Christ, does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching is both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works." Again, like the the command to love, right? Many of these words are familiar to us as well. They appeared in 1 John. 1 John 4 explained about how false prophets were in the world. He said, 1 John 4, 1 through 3, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world... By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come from the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the Spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. It's almost an exact parallel of verse 7 here in 2 John. Many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, such a one is the deceiver and the Antichrist. John, I think, is addressing the same issue, this heresy that was floating around the early church of these false teachers, these deceivers preaching in the name of Jesus but preaching a different Jesus. In John's day, the error of their day was the denial of the incarnation. They did not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. Apparently, they've been influenced by Greek philosophy. Um, You just think of of Socrates and Plato who had this idealness about them that really the, the perfection in our thoughts is the only pure thing and once it comes into reality it becomes imperfect and, and wrong and as they thought about Jesus they, I think they got it right that he was sinless but they thought well if he's sinless and he's perfect he certainly then couldn't be in the flesh because it's impossible for a sinless person to be in the flesh because flesh is bad Matter is evil; spirit is good. This dualism that they had, and instead they they then started thinking. Start, no, Jesus merely appeared in the flesh. He appeared to be a man. He was sort of a phantom man. This belief then came to the the under the philosophy of docetism, got Docet, d o c docetism or d o k from dokeo. The Greek word, which means to think, to seem, or appear, so they said, "Docetism." Jesus just appeared in the flesh, and John would say, "No, that's not right. Jesus did come in the flesh." First John, remember the beginning, it says what we've handled, what we've seen, what we've touched. Jesus was very fleshly. He says, "No, it's not right. If you don't confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, you're a deceiver. Even if you say he was sinless, no, you've got to get the humanity of Jesus right." And if you don't get the humanity of Jesus right, not only are you wrong, not only are you a deceiver, you are the Antichrist. So he says, verse 7, many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, such a one is the deceiver and the Antichrist. Now you remember when we were in 1 John, one of the things I told you was that this word Antichrist only appears four times in all the Bible. I mean, you hear about Antichrist from these prophecy teachers and you think about, oh, Antichrist got to be all over the Bible. It's not even mentioned in the book of Revelation. Same author. He could have used the same word. Could have talked about it there. Three times it's used in First John and once it's used in Second John, talking about Antichrist. And every time it just speaks about those who oppose Jesus, those who teach contrary to Jesus, Antichrist. Anti, against, Christ, Messiah. This is just against Messiah. So if you don't say that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, you're anti-Messiah. You're anti-Jesus. You are the Antichrist. Unlike modern prophecy speakers who speak, that, oh, there's only one Antichrist in the future. He's going to come. He's going to deceive everything. Well, Paul says, John says back in, in chapter 1, children, the last hour. And as you've heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. And if you remember, the message of 1 John overwhelmingly is, don't worry about it. (laughs) You already know about Antichrist come. and Not to to stir up any kind of fear, because Antichrists are already here. And you know that you stand in the truth. You've been anointed by the Holy One. You all have knowledge. You know. You don't need some prophecy expert to come and teach you about Antichrist. All you need to do is look and say, okay, well, who's denying Jesus And those denying the humanity of Jesus, he say, Antichrist there, Antichrist there, and you can pick it out. Now, in our day, it's not the humanity of Jesus that causes people to be Antichrist today. Today, it's the deity of Christ that false prophets and deceivers often deny. It's true of all of our cults today. They deny the deity of Jesus. So Mormons deny the deity. Of Jesus. They believe that Jesus was born in heaven as a spirit child of Elohim by one of his wives. And and uh, Jesus' brother was Lucifer, who became Satan, of course. And Jesus is just one of many gods, not the triune God. Mormons are antichrist. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that, that Jesus was a created being. Known also as the archangel Michael. Jesus is a God small g, not God Himself. In that sense, Jehovah's Witnesses are Antichrist. Christian science believes that Jesus was a man who showed us the way to God. Well, denying the divinity of Jesus. Christian science teaching teachers are Antichrist. And maybe some of these come to your door. You ever know that you've had, had something knock on your door? Antichrist has knocked on your door. Because anyone who does not bring the teaching of Jesus, says in verse 7, coming in the flesh is the deceiver and Antichrist. So the balance of truth and love comes when Antichrist comes to your door. All right? That's where, the, that's where the, the challenge comes. But John tells us what we need to do. Verse 8. Watch yourselves. He says, just Be aware. Be aware. So that you may not lose what we've worked for, but may win a full reward here. The, the warning to watch yourself is the warning of apostasy of turning away and following after them. Turning away from all that we stand for and losing it all. In other words, right, if you get sucked into believing about this Jesus here, right, who who didn't come in the flesh, then you don't have a man who atoned for your sins, and you're still in your sins because you have a different Jesus. You fail the doctrine test of first John we talked about. Or if you have a a Jesus who isn't God, then how can he atone for your sins? It's only God who can atone for your sins. And if you believe in a different Jesus, you have a made up Jesus and that Jesus isn't real. He's not according to the truth and he has no power to save. So be on the alert. Don't believe everyone who's coming and mentioning the name of Jesus. You need to be sure that people talking to you are talking to you about the right Jesus, the real Jesus. And then this is even where it gets tricky a little bit. There are oneness Pentecostals who who preach lots of about Jesus. And they they believe that Jesus is a form of God. So even they're not denying the, the reality of Jesus even being God, but they're denying the Trinity and they're divine denying the nature of God. That's heresy. It's so what Jesus what's John's talking about here is Jesus Christ. And you even even see it there at the beginning in verse three in the in the, the greetings. Grace and peace, mercy and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. It's he's got the, the the Trinity there in there. You got Jesus, you got the Father's Son, the Spirit's not mentioned here, but he's mentioned other elsewhere. The, the Trinity is very important to our saving faith that we might might believe it. So don't don't fall away. And lose what you work for. But the idea here is you remain faithful to the end. Christ will give you your full reward. The reward of faithfulness to Christ. That's what we all want. We want to hear those words. Well done, well done, good and faithful one. Well, why why is the problem? Why do these people believe this anyway? I mean, why would someone believe that Jesus Christ didn't come in the flesh? Well, there's that that Greek um, philosophy coming in there. But fundamentally, this verse 9 is the principle about why it happens. Everyone... Who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching is both the Father and the Son. And it's talking here about just just going beyond. In some ways you can call that, right, going beyond what is written. Rather than abiding in the biblical reality of what teaches about Jesus, that he is fully God, he is fully man, he's part of this Father, Son, Holy Spirit, try unity god however that is rather than embracing that then you go beyond that you go forward and mormons would then have the book of mormon which goes back and explains the bible in jesus and how he was born of offspring of elohim and he's just another god. So, or um you know this christian scientists there's this book called Science and Health and the Key of the Scriptures, which actually then explains the Scriptures in their own slant. But they're just going beyond. Or the Jehovah's Witnesses who look steadfastly to the Watchtower Society and all the things that they publish, which leads them astray, leads them away from thinking that Jesus is, is God rather teaches them relentlessly that Jesus is a God. And that's, I think, what John's talking about here, about going on ahead. He's, he's talking about the process of, of, of learning new things about Jesus rather than what you have heard before, or for us, it goes beyond the revelation. And, um, you know, we, we have what's there. And there's, It's not talking about going deeper into a knowledge and relationship of Christ. So you're, you're, not, you're not seeking deeper into what you have. He's talking about you're going on, you're skipping camp, you're not in this camp anymore. And that's dangerous. He says, "Watch yourselves, and and do not do that." And and uh, so, how do you deal with that? So, verse ten: Someone comes to you, knocks on your door, brings you this false teaching. And John's counsel is simply verse ten: If anyone comes to you, now this also might be coming into the church. You know, I I get emails often that, you know, whatever, singing groups or people who want to come and speak some prophecy or say, I'll put on this conference or I'll do this for you. These are oftentimes people here right in verse 10. They're coming, they're bringing a teaching, they're wanting to be involved, they want to have have this. And um, I kind of follow what verse 10 says on the electronic world. But in the physical world, if someone comes to you, knocks on your door, does not bring this teaching, John says, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. And based upon this, when a Jehovah Witness or a Mormon comes to my door, I don't invite them in. Okay, That's Because John says, do not receive him into your house. Now, receiving him into your house probably is more of a an idea there about they didn't have a lot of hotels back then. Receiving him in your house would be like, like lodging for him and keeping him for the night. He's an itinerant preacher going around. He needs a place to stay. And you just say, okay? Well, I will take you into my house. I will feed you. I will give you a night uh, rest, and I'll I'll do this. It's probably what's being talked about there. But just by principle, I just say you know what? If they're coming with the agenda of this teaching, um, they're not they're not coming in my house. Um, now, right with love, I'm trying to balance as best I can. Though Yvonne can attest, I'm not very loving. Oftentimes, when they come, I I I need to some i think about jesus jesus wasn't so loving all the time but he was perfectly loving so we'll we'll talk about that. that's my final questions i'm going to kind of wrestle with that uh, a little bit but someone comes to my door i'm glad to talk with them um in fact i'm kind of really glad to talk with them because i know a thing or two that they don't know and uh, we have some interesting discussions but i don't want to let them into my house less uh, you you never know they're going to go next door and say oh um we're just talking to your friend over here. Do you know your friend? Yeah, he invited us in and he's a pastor and he's kind of interested in the things we're talking about. In fact, we've had several conversations and several discussions and, and I think he's coming around. You might, be, would you like to hear what your pastor's friend over here, his neighbor is, is hearing? And, and John says, no, don't, don't let him in. Don't even give him a greeting. Now, again, I think this is, this is bigger than just saying hi. It doesn't say, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses along the street. Don't ever say hi to them. Okay, I think the idea here, though, is don't give them a greeting like verse 3. Like it's a blessing almost. Don't give them a blessing. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love because when you do that when you give that sort of greeting you're like blessing them and you're saying god's hand of promise be upon you and you go your way in in peace and you're you're giving them that that greeting or you think about the italians right who come together and just give them the big hugs like oh we're happy family you're not family he says just keep your distance from them because and here's the principle verse 12 whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. If you greet someone, if you take someone into your house, you've helped them in their wicked works. You've helped them propagate lies which are anti-gospel. If you give them a greeting, give them a blessing, if you support them in any way, you're supporting their deception. I say, church family, don't, don't do that. And I think this principle extends to all who teach wrongly. You know, if there's some televangelist ministry and you, you give to them and they're deceiving people, you are part of their deception. You take part, verse 11, in his wicked works. And so I just say, right, don't support those ministries. Support the ministries that you can entirely embrace. There, there are enough things out there. There's enough benefit. You find those things that you say, you know what, this is, this is money. This is true. This is rock solid. This is rock solid. You support that ministry. don't? Because whatever errors or wayward ways there are, you're just part of that. You're just fanning that flame to propagate that error. Okay, so how is this loving if you don't receive Him in your house? How is this loving if you don't even give Him a greeting? Well, I think you can say hi to these people. I think you can be gracious to them. But I think it's loving because you're loving the truth when you are speaking with them. It, you know, Paul says in in Ephesians 4, speak the truth in love, you can speak the truth to them in a loving way. But it's loving to the truth, and it's loving also to the children of God when, you, when, when I don't say everyone who emails me, yeah, why don't you come and speak? That would not be loving to you all to put you and open you up to a deceptive teaching way. Now notice exactly, and this is maybe a final point, who exactly you're shunning here. Because you're shunning those who are coming to you with an agenda. You're coming with those who are coming to you with a, a teaching. You're coming to those who are. Who, you're shunning those who are coming to you with the intent to take people away and follow after them in their false ways. You know it is loving to your son to tackle your son, beat him to the ground, because the train is coming about to run him over. That is eminently loving to him. It's loving to run away from that train. And so likewise here. But he's not talking here about your neighbor who doesn't know anything about Jesus. He's not talking here about your your unsafe family who you have and you know and, and they're coming to your house for dinner. He's not talking about that because they're not coming with an agenda. Now, once they, they start and they start just trying to convert you at every every moment with this false gospel, then maybe that's a little bit different. But... But boy, unbelievers, you've got to be around them and you've got you to gotta share everything that's within you, right? Enjoy God's grace in your life. And then you extend that glory by extending that and sharing that with other people. It's an overflow of just genuinely who you are. And, and you, you tell people how joyous you could be in Jesus. And, and you tell people about Jesus is the one who can forgive sins. And you model that and you love and you sacrifice for your friends and your neighbors who want nothing of Him. Jesus was a friend of sinners, he went with those who didn't have any care for god the lepers that outcast of society the tax collectors those who were greedy and despised by people that jesus loved those people and we as a church we ought to love the the godless people who are just clueless those are people we love as jesus did but jesus had his enemies he had his enemies with the pharisees i used to read matthew 23 and he he denounces these incredible indictments these woes against them i say was that loving well if jesus indicting the pharisees and so you think about it why was he so against the pharisees exactly because here they were deceivers coming with an intention to teach coming with intention to deceive and those are the ones that jesus then in love for his people sought to to bring away sought to steer and start to clear people that and confronted those sorts of people. So I think that's where you balance your, your truth and your love and you just see Jesus, what riled him up is the false the false teaching, the false agenda. But with sinners, it wasn't sin that riled him up as much as it was the false teaching. And that's what John is talking about. He's talking about hold fast to the truth, love the truth so much that you're going to protect the truth and love one another as Christ Jesus has loved us. That's the message of 1 John, truth and love. Let's pray and trust that God will... Help us with these things. God, this is far beyond our ability to love completely, to believe entirely, to know and believe and love the truth. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us in these things. God, show us great, great grace. Um, God, we believe. Help our unbelief. God, we see how we don't love as we ought to love your strength may the fruit of the spirit god work in our lives God, may the spirit produce love in us god i pray you'd you'd be your help i pray for rock valley bible church that we would be a a church known for truth and that's the easy part god because we we just open your bible and just read it and love it but i pray lord equally god that we would be a church known for our love and love and grace towards strangers love and grace towards outsiders. God, they might feel welcome and genuinely loved by us. So God, help help us to discern where, where the people are that need to be shunned because of the agenda and the unteachability of their spirit and their heart. And those who just don't know, who need hope in their lives, that we might be a, a ray and spark of hope to them. God, because those are people we love. We love to direct them to Jesus. We love to see lives changed and people be happy. So help us, O Lord, in our mission. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.